I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. what's up power players i'm tom tate i'm your host and guide and i will be taking you on a time traveling trip through our pasts one issue of nintendo power at a time i want to personally welcome you to episode 11 of the power time podcast i'm super super excited to be here because we are about to crack open one of the most memorable issues of nintendo power that's right today we're going to be cracking open issue number 11 the March-April 1990 issue featuring Super Mario Bros. 3. So if you're listening in real time, I want to apologize. I'm, I'm about a week off of where I want to be in terms of releasing the podcast, but it has been such a crazy couple of weeks, not just in my personal life, but also in the United States. Uh, so if you're in the U.S. and you're listening in real time, you know that we've recently elected Donald Trump as our president. Uh, and it was quite, quite an interesting election cycle and also uh, a very uh, shocking for many people uh, election night. Uh, but also uh, my family has been super sick. So I've managed to uh, spare myself and, and not catch this virus. And I really wanted to record this episode before I caught it uh, so that I can record this, package it up and, and get this out. Because uh, the other thing that happened this past week is the Nintendo uh, Classic, the NES Classic was finally released, uh, but the quantities were so low, they were just near impossible uh, to get your hands on one. So many people did. Uh, scalpers have been going crazy. Um, I might actually uh, have one on the way, and it's a very, very awesome and exciting story that I will be sharing with you uh, in a future episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but yeah, my local targets, uh, they received uh, 12 and 10 uh, respectively. Uh, Best Buy only received 25. And then I called the local Walmart and they only received six. Uh, so Nintendo, if you are listening to this podcast, um, very, very interesting marketing tactic, uh, but you've left a lot of classic retro gamers upset uh, because they can't get their hands on the NES Classic. But for those of you uh, that did, definitely reach out. Let me know how it is. And if you're enjoying it, one of those games on the NES Classic is Super Mario Brothers 3. So let's time travel back to 1990. So the game was super hyped up and it was released at a time when Nintendo Entertainment System Fever was really at an all-time high. Uh, so let's talk about what was going on back in the 1990s at this time, just to kind of get in the mood and, and set ourselves up for you know, opening up this, this fantastic issue of Nintendo Power. So Top of the box office in March was Hunt for Red October. This was an espionage submarine film based on a uh, a Tom Clancy novel. It was actually Tom Clancy's debut novel. I didn't know that uh, until recently. And we'll talk a little bit about this submarine film in just a bit. In April, uh, the top of the box office was none other than the very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. And again, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but... 
this was a really big deal for me as a kid uh, because I was an absolute turtle fanatic. And this was the first film that I, I saw with intent. This was the first film that I, you know, begged my dad to take me to go see this movie in the movie theater. Uh, and he took me. Uh, I think the actual first film I saw was The Little Mermaid. Uh, that was against my own will. I have sisters. Uh, so great, great movie. Uh, nonetheless, I think a lot of it went over my head. There was a lot of dramatic scenes in that Turtles movie uh, for a young kid. Um, on April 8th, 1990, the pilots for Twin Peaks first aired on ABC. And that's actually returning to Showtime. So great, great show. If you've never checked out Twin Peaks, definitely uh, take a look. I think it's on Netflix. So we're definitely past the turn of the decade and things are really starting to get weird. The 90s is kind of a weird decade, uh, especially the early 90s. Uh, it's sort of a, it's a bit of an identity crisis uh, for pop culture in the early 90s, but things get really awesome uh, later on. I mean, either way, definitely weird, but really, really fantastic for video games. So before we dig in, I, I really want to give a shout out to all of the supporters who helped me raise uh, $425 for my local children's hospital this past uh, week or I guess two weeks ago now. Uh, so a couple Saturdays ago, I played over 14 classic NES titles throughout the day, participating in an event called Extra Life. Uh, it was a ton of fun, and I absolutely appreciate the support. I think my company is going to match a few donations, uh, so I, I will hit my $500 goal, which is really, really fantastic. Um, so in a future episode, I'm also going to give shout-outs to all the fantastic people that helped support me, uh, and I'll give that final count of how much I actually raised. So that was all you know, in the name of the Power Time Podcast. So thank you so much for listening, for supporting. If you donated, that's great. Uh, if not, just being a listener of the show, I, I'm so indebted and appreciative of that. Uh, it's been a ton of fun and I can't thank you enough. Uh, so thanks for listening and let's dig in. Let's just jump right in. I'm, I'm burning way too much time because this is a hot issue. Uh, so let's talk about this month's cover, which is actually a nice throwback to issue number one. So if you remember... Issue number one of Nintendo Power was Super Mario Brothers 2. And that issue had uh, Mario in kind of a claymation uh, style um, with uh, some of the scenery and, and, and the main uh, villain from Super Mario Brothers 2. In Super Mario Brothers uh, 3, in issue number 11, it's the same claymation style, uh, which is really cool. Uh, so you have Mario uh, with his raccoon. Uh, suit on um, so you can see clearly that he's flying um, you have one of the koopa kids in the background you have the sun uh, it looks like a chain chomp you have a lot of gold coins uh, and you have a kind of a castle in the in the background um, so you probably you know if you grew up around this time i'm sure you remember seeing this uh this issue of nintendo power either at a friend's house maybe you had it maybe you saw it on the shelves uh, but it's very, very iconic. I, I highly recommend you just do a quick Google image search just to check it out. Um, or you can check out powertimepodcast.com slash 11 to see this cover. Uh, so March, April, 1990, still $3.50, uh, still $4.50 in Canada. So of course, you're going to be paying the exchange rate there. Um, Super Mario Brothers 3, High Flying Adventure. Plus, you don't want to miss Silent Service, 720 Degrees, A Boy and His Blob, Pinbot, and Astyanax. Uh, there's also a big bonus, the 36-page Nintendo Source game directory. 
And of course, we have the seal of approval and Nintendo Power is still the source for NES players straight from the pros. So flipping things over, let's take a look at the table of contents. So what are we going to cover in this episode? We have Super Mario Brothers 3. Of course, we're going to be digging deep into some of the history of the game, a little bit of behind the scenes, uh, making of, talk a little bit about the tech, uh, talk about Nintendo Power's coverage. And I'm going to be announcing something that I'm really excited about uh, for a special all Super Mario Brothers 3 episode that we're going to be doing in a couple weeks that's going to require your participation. Uh, so stay tuned, and I will give you the full details on that. So Super Mario Brothers 3, Silent Service, we'll talk a bit about that. Pinbot, 720 Degrees, Boyness Blob, Wrath of the Black Manta, Astyanax. Uh, all these games are covered as features in this issue, uh, special features in this issue. We have a CES report. Again, that is the Winter Consumer Electronics Show of 1990. We'll catch some highlights from that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Game Boy. Uh, Dragon Warrior uh, is featured in this issue. Uh, and then we have a ton of new games, uh, including previews for Final Fantasy, Codename Viper, and Super C, the sequel to Contra. So if you're a Final Fantasy fan like me, uh, we're going to be digging in a bit today uh, on Nintendo Power's coverage. So with no time to delay, Let's get this party started with our very first feature. This is it. Mario and Luigi return in their biggest adventure yet. Super Mario Bros. 3 has more secrets, more tricks, and more outrageous obstacles than the first two Super Mario Bros. games put together. In fact, we could barely fit maps and tips for the first two worlds in these eight pages. So let's go and see what we can find. So that's the lead taken directly from this month's feature on Super Mario Bros. 3. First, we heard entertainment system with Badop Adoop, which is their Super Mario Brothers 3 medley. And this is just a taste of their entire medley uh, that they have. So definitely check that out. I'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, but this showcases some of the great music from Super Mario Brothers 3. As most of us know, one of the welcome additions to Super Mario Brothers 3 is the world map. Uh, so this is where you can access a collection of items that you store throughout the game as well. So you can 
choose special power-up items uh, before you enter into a level. So the first section of Nintendo Power's spread, it really features some of the items that are going to help you travel across the various worlds. Uh, So the super items to help Mario on his way, we have the mushrooms, the flowers. We now have the leaves, which is going to turn Mario into a flying raccoon. Uh, We also have the frog, the tanuki, and the hammer brother suit. Uh, We have stars. We have P-wings, which were awesome. We have the cloud. We have the music box. We have the uh, the hammer that would break boulders. I'm sure you remember that. We also have the anchor, which will make sure that the Koopa Kids ship doesn't move from place to place. Uh, and then, of course, we have the magic whistle, which will transport you to a whole new world. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the magic whistle as well. So we then see a panel that introduces the concept of the world map and the different buildings and levels that you can enter, as well as the enemies that you're going to encounter on the world map too. So you'll remember you encounter uh, enemies like Hammer Brothers on the actual world map. Uh, You'll also remember wandering around. uh, There are toad houses. There's the spade card mini game, uh, which was definitely a fan favorite in my house. Uh, The mid-level fortress. Uh, So there was always a castle before the final castle or before the final ship. Uh, And then also the final castles. Um, So you would have to eventually end up at a final destination on a specific world's map uh, where you would face one of the Koopa kids. So one of the things that they also show is the regal white mushroom house. And this usually appears after you have done something special. Accordingly, there are wonderful things inside like P-Wings, Tanuki suits, and anchors. Uh, So this is awesome. I remember this is one of the first like major, major secrets that I remember picking up on uh, from a friend, uh, possibly from Nintendo Power when I was a kid. Uh, The ability to do what's required to get these white mushroom houses uh, to appear. So at the bottom of the two-page spread, Nintendo Power illustrates World 1 Stage 1. And it's really beautiful how they do it because it spreads across both pages. Uh, And it looks like a decently sized Stage 1 But you'll immediately notice that it's really the height of the level that exposes. There's not just kind of a ground level like you would normally get in Mario 1, uh, but you now have the ability to fly and access upper levels in the clouds uh, in Super Mario Bros. 3. And it shows off the importance of the raccoon tail and the flying mechanic right away. So you have to remember a lot of people are reading this for the first time, but they haven't had a chance to actually play the game. Uh, so this is a really exciting introduction into the ability to, to fly. So turning the page, we then see the rolling hills of stage two. Uh, we learn about the secret music note block on stage three, uh, which takes you to coin heaven. The challenge uh, to get all of the coins in World 4 is discussed here, and that is what reveals the White Mushroom House. So I remember that specifically. World 4, or Stage 4, you have to get all the coins uh, in order to reveal the White Mushroom House. Uh, And then, of course, the Fortress, uh, which we all know, at least I hope we all know, that holds the flute. Uh, So I'm glad to see, though, that in Nintendo Power, it is not revealed here. It's not revealed right away that there is a flute uh, that's hidden, or the magic whistle. Uh, it's 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 pretty much uh, it's it's kind of hidden in Nintendo Power. Uh, they do write the power of flight will help you explore thoroughly, and the map image 
kind of shows a gap in the ceiling, but they don't outwardly give it away. And I really appreciate that. Uh, on the next page, we take a look at stage five, the underground ice stage. We have stage six, uh, which is mostly just moving platforms. And then finally, we take a look at Koopa's airship. So we then see World 2, stages 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Uh, we see the Fortress for the Desert Stage. We see the Pyramid, and we also see the Airship from World 2. The Kupahari Desert is the name of World 2. I didn't know that it had a name. I always just called it the Desert. So highlights for that uh, really include another white mushroom house, uh, that you can make appear in World 2. And it's the same idea. You have to get all of the coins. And there were some challenging coins in that particular level. Um, you had to hit the P switch to make some uh, switch coins appear. And if you didn't get all of them, uh, you basically had to start over if you wanted to make that white mushroom house appear. Uh, there was also a level with quicksand that I remember from the desert. And it's shown here uh, where the angry sun kind of follows you and you could you could you could destroy the sun with a cooper shell uh, but it would it would always come back uh, but i do remember that specifically uh, trying to outrun and jump the sun we then get a visual preview of the world maps for world three island world world four land of the giants world five cloud castle world six winter wonderland and world seven tube city and of course we also take a look at world eight um, which is Bowser's Underworld Hideout. And it's not shown here in full. Uh, they just kind of tease it. Uh, but World 8 is super awesome. And I'm glad, again, that they, they they hold a little bit back. They don't show you everything that there is to see in Mario 3. So this is a fantastic introduction to get you excited for one of the blockbuster hits of the year. This is going to be one of the top sellers. This is it, this is the top seller for 1990 for the NES um, so let's take a quick music break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the history, the development, and really we're just going to dig into the legacy of Super Mario Brothers 3. So that was the mini bosses with their medley of Super Mario Brothers 3. 
again, just a segment of a really awesome musical medley. So powertimepodcast.com slash 11. Uh, I will have links in the show notes to check out all of the great music in today's episode. So Super Mario Brothers 3, of course, was developed by Nintendo. This is the official third entry into the Super Mario Brothers series. The game was released in Japan just weeks after the release of Super Mario Brothers 2 in the United States. So really, really interesting. I've also heard some stories. Maybe it was on Retronauts. Uh, somebody was discussing how somebody in their neighborhood moved from Japan to the United States and actually had a copy of Super Mario Brothers 3, the Japanese version. So they had a chance to see kind of the Famicom version uh, in action, which was really exciting. So that was in October of 1988 that it was released uh, in Japan. And according to Wikipedia, the release date that I found for the North American release was February 9th of 1990, which is certainly in line with what I remember uh, and what's covered here in Nintendo Power. I definitely remember it being after Christmas uh, 1989, but not too late in 1990. Uh, and as we mentioned before on this show, the hype train for Mario 3 has been chugging along for some time now. So with teasers in Nintendo Power, uh, there was a huge reveal in the conclusion of the film The Wizard. And it was actually playable in the arcades in what was called the NES PlayChoice 10, which was an arcade style cabinet that allowed you to play certain Nintendo games uh, using quarters. So it was a coin op. Uh, there are a couple of books that are written about the game, including Super Mario Brothers 3 by Boss Fight Books. So I haven't had a chance to really dig into that book, but I think I'm going to pick up a copy. Uh, but K- Kotaku actually did an awesome feature on including segments from the Boss Fight Books selection. So I'm going to be pulling a lot of info from that and a few other sites, all of which I'll link up on the show notes. So as another reminder, Super Mario Bros. 2 in the United States was a remake of a Japanese title, Doki Doki Panic, and it wasn't really changed that much. So the amount of time and attention spent on Super Mario Bros. 3, uh, I'll say most certainly rivals that which was spent on converting Doki Doki to Mario 2. I really don't know if that's the case, uh, but that's just my speculation. Mario 3, as we learned in last week's behind-the-scenes feature, which is really cool. So if you haven't listened to uh, episode 10, definitely check that out because we talked about how Mario 3 was the brainchild of Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. Uh, So if you haven't checked that out, definitely check it out. Uh, It was the first time Nintendo Power really pulled back the curtain on NES pregame development in that much detail. So Elise Noor the author of the Boss Fight books, Super Mario Brothers 3 book, writes, Super Mario 3's entire development team consisted of just 11 people. Miyamoto and Tezuka as directors and designers, four additional designers, four programmers, and Koji Kondo as composer. During Super Mario 3's two years of development, Miyamoto's days at the office had no definite start or end time, and he often stayed up working late into the night. That's a direct quote. And Elise describes the experience Miyamoto and his designers, uh, the experience of them personally drawing levels by hand with a lot of specificity, including how many actual blocks belonged on levels in certain areas. Uh, So they sketched all this out. They really designed everything by hand before it was programmed. When designing new enemies and mechanics, Miyamoto would consistently ask, is this fun? 
or does this feel right? Uh, there are some anecdotes here about how Miyamoto's unconventional approaches solved complex problems and also how Takashi Tezuka wanted to put cutesy eyes on everything. So if you see a kind of cute aesthetic in certain places, uh, that was definitely Tezuka. Uh, like the animated hills on the world maps, things like that, um, that was his influence. On the technical side of things, Mario 3 also made use of the Memory Management Controller 3 or the MMC3. And according to a Wikipedia article on that, the MMC3 adds a scanline-based IRQ counter to make split-screen scrolling easier to perform, mainly to allow the play field to scroll while the status bar remains motionless at the top or bottom of the screen. So... If you think about that and you think about Mario 3's gameplay, you will definitely remember uh, that there was kind of a status bar uh, where it would show the arrows as you were revving up to fly, uh, the time that you had. That was all static while the rest of the game uh, play happened in a different frame. And that was all made possible with the MMC3, uh, which was definitely a technological advancement for NES titles. I mean, overall, the game was definitely a jump from previous Nintendo titles, both in sound design, level design, and graphics. One thing that I also discovered recently is the existence of a ROM hack called Super Mario Bros. 3 Mix, which is basically a fan-designed game using and modifying the original code. Uh, It's really, really awesome. All new levels and features... Uh, and though ROM, uh, through ROM hacking specifically, there was a lot that was discovered about the title. So uh, Elise writes, Indeed, ROM hacks delving into the Super Mario Bros. 3 NES game cartridge reveal a wealth of unused content that shows some of the design team's rejected development decisions, including two versions of Mario uh, with pink overalls instead of blue, a number of alternate enemy designs, including gold cheap cheeps and green fast-flying parabeetles, a spike in wheel graphic, a propeller graphic, a skull graphic for the map screen, and an alternate version of the Magic Ball one in Fortresses. A sliding Hammer Mario graphic. Hammer Mario can't slide in the actual game, probably because the team wanted to allow uh, to crouch on hills. Uh, allow players to crouch on hills and hide from enemy fireballs. There are alternate mini-games involving dice and cards hosted by a Hammer Brother and a Koopa Troopa instead of Toad and a cool little Adobe-style fort graphic on the map screen. So all of those were in the code for Super Mario Bros. 3. Uh, They just were not revealed to us players uh, because they never made it past the development stage. Uh, The cartridge data also includes a number of unused levels, some of which appear to be either first drafts or more challenging versions of existing levels, perhaps revealing an initial desire to make the game even harder than the finished product was. Um, So again, all of this from uh, the the article from Kotaku. Um, Here's another passage that I found just absolutely fitting for this episode. As much as the world loves Super Mario Bros. 3, Miyamoto himself has mixed feelings about it. I look back and play some of these games, and there are a lot of places where, to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed, Miyamoto told Time Magazine. I look at Super Mario 3, and I feel like this was it. This is what we thought was good enough. That being said, I do have new understandings of that work. 
uh, the balance in that game is what it needed to be at the time. It really was. And so even seeing all the limitations, I'm very happy with what we created and I wouldn't change it. Super Mario Brothers 3 was the last game on which Miyamoto had a designer credit. And from here on out, his name appears only as producer and director. So he kind of moves on to that, that mentor role. Uh, so I absolutely have a lot to say about Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, I have a lot of memories that I want to share about the game, a lot of my favorite parts of the game, but I'm going to save it for a special episode where you, the list, the listeners can also get involved. I'm going to set up a very simple voicemail box at powertimepodcast.com slash SMB3. And that's where you can leave me an audio clip that I'll review. And I will either share your story on the episode, or I may actually play the audio file itself. So again, that's powertimepodcast.com slash SMB3. I'm going to be putting a couple of calls out to get submissions. Uh, if you're listening past November of 2016, uh, this is probably shut down. But if you're listening in real time, I definitely want to hear your Super Mario Brothers 3 memories. Uh, and I definitely want to share those on the show. So between now and then, if you want to play Super Mario Brothers 3 again, you are definitely in luck because the game appears on multiple consoles after its initial release on the NES. There are virtual console options on Wii, Wii U, and 3DS, but there's also the opportunity to play on the NES Classic, if you can get your hands on one, a mini console that uh, was just recently released last Friday. Uh, and I really did my best to get my hands on that. So more on that later. If you have a Super NES, you can try to track down a copy of Super Mario All-Stars, a compilation game that featured Super Mario Bros. 3 with updated graphics and sound. Uh, there's also Super Mario Advance 4 on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, that was based off of the Super Mario All-Stars version. And if you want to get crazy, you can try to track down Mario 3 Mix, uh, or play Super Mario Maker levels based on Mario 3 gameplay and graphics. Again, Super Mario Maker came out on the Wii U, and also there's a 3DS version coming out soon, uh, which allows you to create your own Mario levels and share them, uh, which is a ton of fun. Either way, this is a staple of the NES, quite possibly the best game released on the console. Uh, it's definitely one of my top titles for sure, uh, possibly my number one. I'm really, I haven't thought too deeply on what my number one game is, uh, but we are going to dig deeper in a few weeks uh, along with your stories as well. So definitely share those. Uh, and if you want to go to powertimepodcast.com slash 11, I will link up the Kotaku and a couple other links uh, if you want to learn more about Super Mario 3. So that's it. We are going to move forward uh, for Mario 3 now. Uh, but the game of the year has now been dropped. Uh, so this is it. This is this is the the pinnacle for Nintendo, uh, if not, you know, definitely in 1990, if not it, within the entire run of the console. So all other games really get measured up against Super Mario Brothers 3 uh, from henceforth. Uh, so everything's going to be compared to the splendor of Mario 3. So how do you follow up the exploration of Mario 3? Well, in Nintendo Power, you do it with a submarine simulation game called Silent Service. Uh, not very exciting. Uh, this game from Ultra, it doesn't look incredibly awesome. 
I've never played it, so correct me if I'm wrong. If this was your favorite game as a kid, you just couldn't put down Silent Service, uh, tweet me at Yo Power Time and, and tell me I'm a fool. I'm curious if anyone out there has definitely like really invested a lot of time. I know I haven't. Uh, most of the game looks like it's played through a small periscope uh, with a point-and-click interface to move and select commands. There's really no music from what I can gather uh, watching a few videos, just the sounds of the sub and your own button pressing. So in that sense, it really does feel like a true submarine sim. Um, Nintendo is generous enough to invest four pages of coverage for Ultra. Um, So it must be okay. It must be decent if Nintendo is going to go out of its way uh, to feature it. Uh, I'm I'm really curious though. I'm going to have to try it. Uh, And maybe it's featured because... Uh, a Hunt for Red October, which is a submarine film, was top of the box office. So maybe they thought it had that relevancy, that appeal. Uh, and uh, after that, we have a review of Pinbot, which is a pinball title, 720 Degrees, which is a skateboarding game. And one of my favorites, which we've already covered on the show, A Boy and His Blob, um, which we did discuss in detail. But A Boy and His Blob is at its core a game about friendship, adventure and exploration it's very very challenging so luckily there are really huge sprawling maps in nintendo power in this particular issue to help you along the way and finally there's a review of wrath of the black manta by taito and this looks visually and aesthetically like a ninja gaiden clone or ninja gaiden clone it looks like there's a bit more depth Uh, in some of the moves that you can learn, but it doesn't look like an incredibly memorable title. I certainly don't remember it that fondly. Uh, And then there's Astyanax. And this is a game that I've recently played for the first time for the Extra Life Game-a-thon. And I had a ton of fun playing Astyanax. I think I'm going to go back and beat it because it was just so great. Action and danger await await you in Remblia. Uh, That's the name of the world. Uh, when Astyanax was an ordinary freshman with an unusual name attending Greenview High, his biggest worry was getting his homework assignments done on time. But after a recurring dream about a mysterious girl, he was transported to a world full of hostile monsters, brought there to combat the evil wizard Blackborn, his only chance for returning to the real world is to rescue a captive princess. In Astyanax, a new action game from Jalico, follow his travels as he sets out to fight his way through armies of killer creatures. So that is taken directly from the pages of Nintendo Power. We get some maps, some strategies, of course, uh, some boss battle tips. Uh, they're all included here. Really great game. Had a ton of fun playing that. There are so many other games in this particular issue. I'm not going to have time to cover them all. Um, It's actually hard for Nintendo to cover them all. So here's a list of what gets a sort of mini review in this issue. We have Tecmo World Wrestling, Abadox, Bases Loaded 2, Baseball Simulator 1000, Al Unser's Juniors, Al Unser Juniors Turbo Racing, The Battle of Olympus, Exexus, Rescue, The Embassy Mission, And all of these just get a quick, like, one-page review. Really not that much time spent on these. Uh, And our final feature for this episode is a recap 
of the 1990 Winter Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. So Nintendo was boasting a 30,000 square foot booth. Many of the new games shown are said to have one, two, or three megabits of ROM storage. Pretty laughable by today's standards, right? Uh, Which was certainly high at the time. Uh, Notable games mentioned include Captain Skyhawk, Mission Impossible, Journey to Silius, Circus Capers, a bunch of arcade ports, a bunch of racing games and puzzle titles. Uh, And then there are, are also a lot of licensed games. So we have Punisher, Rescue Rangers, Snoopy's Silly Sports, Bugs Bunny's Birthday Blowout, fantastic game, Silver Surfer and Dick Tracy, as well as some RPGs as well. So Crystallis, Dungeon Magic, Star Tropics, and Final Fantasy, all featured at CES, um, the Winter Consumer Electronics Show uh, in Las Vegas. So of course, CES is kind of the precursor to E3. Uh, which was really, really exciting. So tons of great games on the horizon for Nintendo. Uh, sequels get a huge shout-out here as well. So we have Ninja, uh, Ninja Gaiden 2, Super C, Back to the Future 2, Ghostbusters 2, Top Gun 2, and Gauntlet 2. Uh, there's also a slew of Game Boy games, but it really seems like Super Mario Brothers 3 stole the show. Uh, definitely the hottest title, the most anticipated title, uh, and it, it was very much featured at CES. Uh, just a quick shout out. I just want to give a quick shout out to Zachary Taylor um, for sharing an awesome bit of news this week on the Facebook community. Azor Striker Gunvolt developer NT Creates has announced the return of Blaster Master with the release of a brand new game for Nintendo 3DS next year, Blaster Master Zero. Um, it's apparently, I was reading up on it, it's going to be an homage to the original Blaster Master, and I cannot wait to check that out, not only because I love my 3DS and I love playing uh, portable games, but because, uh, as we've talked about on this show in a couple episodes, Blaster Master is just such, for, for lack of a better word, a blast to play. It is so much fun. Um, so shout out to Zach for sharing that news. Um, if you want to... Uh, keep up on top of news and keep up with the discussions uh, related to Power Time Podcast. You can check out powertimepodcast.com slash unlocked um, and just hang with us on Facebook and talk about something other than politics. Uh, talk about video games. Uh, we would definitely love to have you join. All right, Power Players, we are going to keep this episode moving. We are going to jump into our next segment, which of course is previews. going to be the summer of final fantasy the role-playing game from nintendo that sets a new standard for adventure 
Final Fantasy is not just bigger and better than earlier RPGs. It launches you into a universe more absorbing than The Legend of Zelda and more challenging than The Adventure of Link. And it's a blast to play. There's always a new goal to challenge your party of four light warriors, which you choose and command, made up of fighters, thieves, mages, and other adventurers. The party must explore endless castles, cities, caves, and towers, while forests, deserts, and oceans must be braved and crossed in spite of more than 100 or 200 types of enemies. In fact, Final Fantasy is so big that you'll have to travel by ship, canoe, and blimp to cover it all. This is not a game that can be finished in a few hours or even a few days, but no matter how long it takes, every minute is exciting. Final Fantasy has a lithium battery like Zelda and Link to save your game, just in case you want to stop for food or water sometimes. Of course, we are talking about Square's Final Fantasy, the first entry in the iconic series. Uh, That, of course, was directly taken from Nintendo Power. And what we heard was an awesome rendition of the theme uh, from The Advantage. I really love that version. Uh, Not perfect. That's what I love about it. The slight imperfections uh, in that cover. Just really raw, really awesome. Uh, Very, very iconic music because it kind of makes an appearance on all of the Final Fantasy titles. Um, so if you grew up playing future titles, you you will definitely recognize that. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on Final Fantasy only because we're going to cover it in a future episode because it will get more coverage in Nintendo Power. Uh, but in the few pages here, uh, just to cover, uh, cover what's here, we learn about leveling up. Uh, we learn about the different roles of the characters. We also learn about the battle system itself, and we learn about the world map. We get a look at some of the beautiful graphics and artwork really really beautiful game at the time uh you know this compared to dragon warrior uh to me final fantasy just stands out personally uh really really awesome game after that we have an action title called codename viper and we have super c the sequel to contra which again we are going to be featuring heavily in a future episode because that is actually a cover um so there will be a super c cover in our future as far as I can remember, Super C, uh, it was very much uh, much of the same uh, in terms of related to Contra. I don't remember gameplay being too different. I could be wrong, though, so we will find out soon. And we will also find out as soon as I can get my hands on an NES Classic, uh, which, of course, has been quite the challenge because Super C is included in the 30 games uh, that you'll get on the NES Classic. So for video shorts this week, we have Eight Eyes, The Magic of Sherhazadi, Heavy Barrel, Kings of the Beach, Magic Johnson's Fast Break, Target, Renegade, another beat-em-up from Tato. We have Marvel's X-Men. We have Destination Earth Star, Top Players Tennis, Vegas Dream, Win, Lose, or Draw, Remote Control, Top Gun 2, Dash Galaxy, and The Alien Asylum. That game sounds awesome. Rock and Ball, and we have Puss in Boots. Uh, Puss in Boots was actually a big rental for me. Uh, I remember that a lot. Uh, and finally, uh, we have some Fisher Price titles for the kiddos. Pack Watch, uh, we have a look into the future of NES game packs. Uh, Pack Watch, this uh, issue reveals Ninja Gaiden 2, The Dark Sword of Chaos, 
Crystallis, which is absolutely a game that I didn't get into, but I have to uh, because the more I read about it, the more I know I need to play it. Rescue Rangers, we have Golgo 13, The Moffat Conspiracy, we have Solstice, Maniac Mansion, another classic, Battle Chess, Little League Baseball, and Castlevania 3, uh, as well as Dungeon Magic and a few uh, more titles in the rumor mill. So that's going to wrap up previews. We're just kind of uh, touching on a few, and then, of course, we will be getting into them as they are featured in future issues. Moving on to our next segment, we have That's So Retro. Uh, This is one of my favorite segments. It's where I typically point out some of the more retro elements of the issue, some things that are super, super 90s. Um, So to kick things off, let's talk about Dragon Warrior. Um, which was featured in this issue as the pull-out map. You'll remember Nintendo Power was infamous for their pull-out maps that you can take out and put on your wall. Uh, But this issue, there's actually a Dragon Quest text adventure, um, which is, of course, super, super retro. You don't see text adventures around too frequently these days. So a text adventure is sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure-style narrative, and here's how it goes in this issue. So you start off... As the descendant of Erdrick, a great warrior of old, you are about to set out on the first leg of a quest to defeat the Dragon Lord, who has taken over the kingdom of Alephgard. You begin in Tantagel Castle, and as you stand at the gate, you must decide which direction to take. So here you have four options. If you go east, go to number one. If you want to go south, go to number two. If you want to go west, go to number three. And if you want to go north, go to number four. Um, So let's just say we want to go north. Uh, We go to number four, which says, looking north, you see rugged, impassable mountains. Which way do you go? If right, go to number 12. If left, go to number 13. And if back, go to number seven. Um, So every single panel you have a new choice of where you want to go, which ultimately gets you uh, to to the end. Uh, so you get the idea. Uh, so this is pretty cool. I mean, it's super, super retro, uh, but something fun, uh, of course, you know, just like Highlights Magazine was at your local dentist or doctor's office. This was a little something uh, for you to play around with other than just read and look at all the pictures. Uh, next, uh, as is the new tradition in the Power Time podcast, I like to feature a super retro game counselor profile. So the game counselors, of course, they worked in Washington uh, and they helped gamers through tough challenges through the 900 number. So the 900 number was actually back uh, for a brief period of time over the weekend to commemorate the uh, release of the NES Classic. And it was just pre-recorded messages. They didn't have anybody live, uh, but it was awesome. Super retro. Uh, I'll dig up some of that and I'll share some of that in the show notes because it was a lot of fun. Uh, But this week, I want to feature Denise Borofskis. She became a game counselor in February of 1989. Her hobbies, okay, this is fantastic. Ready? Denise's hobbies include beach bumming, hand gliding, and Aerosmith. Yes, that's right. Aerosmith is her hobby. Her greatest accomplishment was... Uh, almost 10 million points in Mega Man. Remember, the original Mega Man had a point system, so she got 9,996,300 points. Uh, and her favorite game is the Guardian Legend. Uh, so a little bit about Denise, who happens to love video games and Aerosmith. Uh, up next, and that's so retro, so there is a heading 
uh, in one of the sections that says Super NES videos. Uh, and that kind of freaked me out because it was like, are they revealing the Super NES uh, casually? I mean, they revealed it already, the Super Famicom, but are they revealing more details so casually in the, in this particular issue? And it turns out that they weren't. Um, they were actually just showing off NES videos as in NES VHS tapes. Uh, so if you remember VHS tapes, uh, and I'm sure most of us do, uh, DIC video or Dick video, Deke video, um, they had all of these kids classics on VHS tape. And I remember I owned a couple of them. So if you wanted the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, um, which featured Mario and Luigi and also Link and Zelda episodes, um, you could get those uh, on VHS um, basically in greatest hits format. Uh, so those tapes are covered here. All right, moving on to our next segment. Are we having fun yet? So are we having fun yet is really just my opportunity to highlight the odds and ends throughout the issue. Uh, just a few things that I thought were fun and deserved uh, just a little bit of notation, uh, but nothing crazy. And they didn't really fit in anywhere else. Uh, so as always, the Howard and Nestor comic typically falls in here. This particular issue, it's it's a volleyball-themed comic strip. Uh, very, very strange, uh, not too exciting. But there is in this issue a really fun power trivia quiz. Uh, and the power trivia quiz was meant to see like how big of a Nintendo gamer were you. And the questions are really bizarre uh, and specific. So question number one is, why does Howard Phillips like bow ties? Uh, A, regular ties dip in your soup. B, regular ties swing up on corners. C, it's just like tying your shoes. Or D, all of the above. It's really, really interesting. Uh, Number three, what is the NES satellite? Uh, Number four, what is the prescribed method for cleaning your NES? Uh, and, And D, answer D for number four is spit and wipe. Uh, which unfortunately a lot of people did blowing in their cartridges. Uh, Number six, if someone asks you a particularly tricky question concerning Dragon Warrior and you don't know the answer, do you A, make up an answer to get rid of them, B, tell them you have no idea what they're babbling about, C, nod knowingly and walk away, leaving them to wonder, or D, find the real answer in a back issue of Nintendo Power? Um, So yes, uh, there's a lot of interesting questions here. The celebrity profile this month was extra fun uh, because it actually featured a review of a game uh, that I really liked. Normally, it's just a celebrity talking uh, just a few minor details about Nintendo, but really just talking about whatever movie they're working on or whatever album they're producing. Uh, But this month, uh, it's Sarah Gilbert of Roseanne. She played Darlene Connor, uh, and she talks about her experience playing early NES titles but she gives her review of A Boy and His Blob, and it's pretty awesome. It's pretty fantastic. Um, So definitely uh, check that out. And then finally, uh, the ballot for the 1989 Nintendo Power Awards, uh, or the Nesters, is included in this issue. Um, So, of course, you know, best graphics, best character. uh, It's really just the the best ofs for 1989, uh, as, as voted on by the readers, apparently. Right, So you would send in a little ballot card uh, and they have all the games listed here. So I'm not going to list all the categories and all the games, but I will list you know, best ending, for example, DuckTales, Mega Man 2, 
Ninja Gaiden, The Adventures of Lolo, or Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Uh, best ending, best player versus player, best graphics is one of them. Uh, but really the big the big thing is is best overall game, right? So what is going to be the best game of 1989? Here are your choices. You have Dragon Warrior, DuckTales, Faxanadu, Guardian Legend, Mega Man 2, Ninja Gaiden, Stealth ATF, Tetris, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. So I didn't look ahead, so I'm actually uh, in, in the blind here, but I'm going to guess that it's going to be Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Just a guess, but we'll see. And with that, we are going to start to wrap things up. As we conclude this episode, we are going to reveal the top 10 uh, NES titles as reported in issue number 11 of Nintendo Power's Top 30. Uh, So the top 10 this particular issue. At number one, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. At number two, we have Mega Man 2. At number three, we have Super Mario Bros. 2. At number four, we have Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. At number five, we have Dragon Warrior. At number six, we have The Legend of Zelda. Number seven, we have Super Mario Bros. 3. Number eight, we have Ninja Gaiden. Number nine, DuckTales. And number 10, we have Tecmo Bowl. Um, So, really, really awesome lineup of games. This is a fantastic time uh, to be playing the Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm surprised to see Super Mario Bros. 3 on here at number seven even though it wasn't really officially released all over the place. They make a little brief comment about it here. Uh, But yeah, this is a great lineup. Uh, Probably one of the most memorable periods in the Nintendo NES's um, lifespan, of course. Uh, In the later years, some great titles come out, but you're already starting to look ahead, shift over to the Super Nintendo. The Genesis is already out. Um, So this is kind of the, the golden age for the NES in my personal, my humble opinion. So up next week, up next week in the May-June issue of Nintendo Power, we are going to take a closer look at Final Fantasy, uh, Dino Wars, uh, which we talked about last issue. I played it for Extra Life. Uh, very, very bizarre, but fun game. Burai Fighter and Super C, which is the sequel to Contra. As always, you know, my gratitude to the artists featured in today's episode. Uh, all of the bands and artists have been super supportive. They've granted their permission uh, for me to use their tracks. So let's do uh, our best to support them as well. So I also purchase all the tracks. So, you know, I don't go download these uh, for free, although you can stream them for free in most places. Uh, so definitely check out the show notes at powertimepodcast.com slash 11. If you want to hear these amazing artists, uh, support them if you can. If not, just stream and, and enjoy. Azor Flux uh, is what we heard first with the unofficial theme to the Power Time podcast. That is Eat My Chips. Uh, Ba-da-ba-doop, Entertainment System. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 Medley by the Mini Bosses. And of course, we heard Final Fantasy from The Advantage. And that's going to do it for episode 11. Again, I apologize for, for the delay on this episode, but I'm just so excited to be back um, we have a lot of awesome episodes and I'm starting to map out what 2017 looks like for the Power Time podcast. And there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon. Uh, I'm going to be kind of restructuring, reformatting things a little bit. Uh, I'm going to be putting some some processes on my end in place uh, so that I never miss a week like I did last week. Um, and we're really going to have a nice set schedule. 
uh, which is going to be a ton of fun. I'm going to be needing a ton of participation from you, the listener. Um, so if you want to get started in participating in Power Time Podcast, you can hop on over to our private Facebook community at powertimepodcast.com slash unlocked. Uh, but really, if you want to support the show, uh, head on over to powertimepodcast.com slash SMB3. Um, and you can leave me a voicemail of your Super Mario Brothers 3 memories. And if you don't mind, uh, I will consider playing that on the, the future episode where we cover Super Mario Brothers 3, um, or uh, I'll just read it off um, or recap. Uh, but it's going to be an awesome episode. Uh, we have a lot of fun stuff in store for the future. So as always, you know, I really want to just thank you for your time, your attention, and your participation. I've been having such a blast uh, going through the pages of Nintendo Power, playing some of these old games, uh, and really connecting with so many awesome people on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet me at Yo Power Time um, in person. Uh, it's just been such a good time to connect over one of my favorite, favorite uh, franchises, uh, companies, Nintendo. So as always, you know, thank you so much. And until next time, power players, keep on playing with power.